you know, being that person who sees that thing and can't mm-hmm. get anyone else to follow you because they're all keeping their heads down because they don't want to talk about it. It's right, exhausting. Right. And most people, quite frankly, don't get up every morning waiting mm-hmm. to change no. the world. No, you know, for they, sure. they, they crave stability and there's nothing wrong with a sense of wanting certain mm-hmm. things to stay the same. And sometimes mm-hmm. companies think they want to change, but they really aren't ready for mm-hmm. what that means mm-hmm. and how it's really going to make things change right. in the organization. I mm-hmm. said teams, it could mean moving people out of the organization because of this new direction. So change very often requires that and you have to have stomach. For that you have to for be sure. with right. or trudging off and getting dirty and being willing to fail. Hey everybody, John Chisholm here. Welcome to the All the Best podcast. It's my own special blend of motivation and devotion designed to help you find all the best in life. I just believe there's always a way to make your life better. I want to help you get there. Nothing's going to be off limits in this show. We're going to talk to amazing people from all kinds of backgrounds, beliefs, and points of view. We're going to be bringing you insights, advice, and inspiration to guide you into the coolest chapters of your life and maybe help you actually enjoy your time here on planet earth so buckle up kids this is gonna be fun hey everybody welcome to all the best if you've ever been to Cirque du Soleil You were probably amazed with the acrobatic excellence, the music, the creativity, the staging, and the choreography that they brought to the world for over three decades. But as amazing as the show itself is, there's a lot more happening behind the scenes that goes into filling the seats night after night and week after week to keep this global entertainment machine running. Well, my guest this week had the tremendous responsibility of filling multiple Cirque resident venues for many years as a high-powered marketing executive. We have a fascinating conversation about how she's used innovation and creativity to not only bring in over $500 million in revenue each year for Cirque du Soleil, but to navigate the challenges of big business as a woman of color. Well, I'm so excited to introduce you to Alma Derricks, former Cirque executive and founder and innovator at Rev, her own marketing and promotions firm that delves into everything from television to film to music to videos to gaming and more. Alma has learned how to turn the edges of the corporate world into opportunity for over 25 years, and her insights can help you wake up to a more creative and innovative life to accomplish your goals and to make a greater contribution to the world around you. This is a fascinating talk that was just truly inspiring to me, and I think you're going to be as fascinated as I was as you get to know a powerful woman who isn't afraid to be the first or the worst, my new best friend, Alma Derricks. Hey, Alma, thanks for joining me here on All the Best. Thank you for having me, John. It's great to be here. Well, of course. I'm just deeply impressed with who you are as an innovator and a high-level executive and marketer across several companies. We've been huge fans of Cirque, and anyone who's seen any of these shows know that there's just an incredible amount of creativity and imagination, athleticism, art, and beauty that come together as just an unforgettable kind of experience, a -a one-of-a-kind 
Well, have you seen all of the Cirque shows? Seen just about all of them, not all of the touring shows. So there are, you know, dozens of touring shows that are around the world. There's one happening all the time, but I've certainly seen all the, any resident show that exists right. and had the pleasure. I mean, I think one of the best parts of the time that I spent at Cirque was the chance to spend time backstage. Mm. So I have been down behind the tank at, oh, I have been up in the rafters, <laughs> MJ. And, they, you know, they, I think they think uh. it's kind of funny when, when someone from, uh, from headquarters right. shows up, they yeah. put you, in, you wear your black outfit, you put on your black mm -hmm. tennis shoes, and then you just run behind <laughs> these guys the, the entire time. Right. right. They, uh, and they take off and they're climbing up sure. things and shimmying up ladders and sliding down. Exactly. Things. And they're just sort of, I'm sure, I'm sure someone's waiting for me to miss a stair on, you know, <laughs> waiting for me to run on the ladder yeah. or something. But, just, you know, uh, it's kind of a, a badge of, a badge of honor that I was right. able to just hang in there, mm -hmm. you know, through all these so shows. That was probably the most exciting part of it. The artists are simply amazing. Yes. And what's, what's even funnier, John, that you would see backstage is that it's a workplace almost like any other workplace. So mm -hmm. in between these amazing takes, people are chatting about their mm -hmm. kids and about the vacation they just took. And, and then, you know, three, two, one, and they, you know, <laughs> sort of, you know, and they just, go. You know jump yeah, off the ledge. Right? But in between, they're just, it's, it's water cooler chat. So it's so funny. It's absolutely remarkable to watch these, these folks. I mean, they are some of the most talented people in the world. They're like yes. Olympic teams. Oh, of course. Yeah, it. of course. And they, they just, it, it's autopilot for them in mm -hmm. some ways. It's uh, really beautiful and a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. It's an experience oh, yeah. I wouldn't trade. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. When I was at CERC, one of the things I'm most proud of is that we were able to launch, you know, in, in every company that I've been with, I've launched new lines of business that are leveraging, that, that leverage the, the corporate brand itself and start to find new ways to create other lines of revenue. So think of it like creating Legoland if you're Lego, especially things that are a little bit far afield. And so one of the things I'm most proud of that we created at CERC was a program called Spark, uh, Spark right. Session. Right. So we were taking executive from Google, MasterCard, SAB, Miller, we would take them into theaters during daytime hours because those uh, are the times when the when theaters aren't being used for shows. And we would custom create curriculum for them, oh, everything from customer experience mm -hmm. to um, marketing to teamwork and allow them to do a couple mm -hmm. of things. One is, you know, not only have a real, a real educational experience, real mm -hmm. corporate educational experience, but then also get on stage get on equipment sometimes. Wow. Oh and my so We had a, a lot of fun sort of That's creating so these programs cool. and custom creating mm -hmm. the curriculum for these companies. The largest one that we did was for Kmart Australia. Mm -hmm. They flew 500 executives from Australia oh to Las Vegas. That's incredible. And we custom created a week-long course in customer experience. Oh, that must so their great. question about surf was very simple. It was, how do you hit that mark? Mm. over and over and over again. Mm -hmm. How does the Cirque experience always, mm -hmm. you know, it always hits the same mark night after night after night, and right. no matter where it is in the world. We know that that doesn't happen accidentally. Right. And so they wanted to hear from artists. They wanted to hear from execs in the company. So we had three theaters going at once to accommodate this, this huge crowd and build a curriculum for them, a custom curriculum for a week-long stay in Vegas. That's and, amazing. you know, that, that mm -hmm. business was something I was very proud of because it's, it's something that shows you a completely different side mm -hmm. of surf. It allowed us to really go behind the scenes and really talk about some of the things to really try and understand what makes right. surf tick. 
Huh. And uh, it was a lot of fun drawing those out and then bringing people through that, bringing them through the backstage part of the process to kind of see how, how we do what we do. So good. So what an amazing extension of Cirque as the brand to become Cirque as the experiential educators and coaches to be able to broaden that experience of being behind the stage and even on the stage. I just really love that. I, I think it's Something I'd love to be part of someday, tag along with an entourage and do that. So, yeah, that's very exciting now that you've lived and worked at a really high-powered level for 25 years with Deloitte and Cirque and now your own company, Rev. You've impacted millions in marketing, media, entertainment, technology. You were just right at the beginning of all that and consumer products. But I'm just wondering, what does it feel like to be Alma Derricks right now? What an interesting question, John. You know, I think like many of us, I'm still reeling from what's happening in the in the bigger world, right? I mean, mm -hmm. COVID was, was such a shock. And I think we're all mm -hmm. probably experiencing more trauma from that than we really, For you know, sure. I've been fortunate and blessed that I haven't been impacted negatively other than, mm -hmm. you know, being locked away at home and having uh, some uh, business uh, impacted. So we've stayed healthy, we've stayed safe. But I think it's, you know, I, when you ask that, I, I think about, you know, feeling a real need right now to, to rebuild connections mm -hmm. with people. I so think, good. you know, that, yeah. that moving through the world has sort of been sort of moving, you know, in one spot or hopping up and down. Right. Yeah. Oh my God. For so long now. And yeah. I think, you know, I think if anything, I'm just feeling the need to kind of, you know, mm -hmm. shake this off and get out. I think another thing that really is on my mind a lot is, you know, how this is affecting some of my younger colleagues, right. clients, oh, yeah, of folks that are starting their mm -hmm. careers at this point. So yeah, I'm really so feeling the need to and feeling called to to spend extra time with them because they can't bump into you or to me, to other people at the water cooler, in the, yeah, you know, yeah. or in the break room. Right. We're not around. Everything's so formal now. Yes. And so tearing that down, I think, is something that's been very present for me recently it's you know just the need to to rebuild that to reestablish one-on-one -on -one relationships it's been terrific mm -hmm. meeting people through the through the magic screen yeah, you know, and i've actually sure. you know actually made some very good friends oddly in this strange environment mm -hmm. over the last right. couple of years but you know it's really time for all of us to kind of reconnect and come together it's it, yeah it's we need it now more than ever oh my goodness absolutely and you know hopefully there'll be more than Zoom to help bring us together, right? Well, Alma, the hallmarks of your 25-year career have been creativity and innovation to market events like Cirque du Soleil, bringing in over $500 million annually for the resident shows alone. You now have your own marketing company called Rev, and you've applied these principles at a very high level. But do you feel these principles can be applied to our own lives? I mean, what does that look like for you, maybe on a more personal level, that might help our listeners? Now, it's an interesting question. I mean, yeah, I think for sure, if there's a through line to what I've done, you know, just about every company I've been with, I've left a business like Spark, like the one I mm -hmm. described for Surf, mm -hmm. you know, that sort of has its roots in understanding the audience, understanding the customer, and then sort of jump using that as a jumping off point to create other things. So mm. certainly, you know, approaching things with that sense of curiosity and sort of saying, what else could we do? You know, I, I, I tend that. to work on the edges of the companies that you've described. So I'm always doing something that's a new extended mm. thing. 
And I think that does apply individually because I think that, you know, there's a lot of symbiosis to the way that I, I move through the world and the, the question that you asked me earlier. It, right. it's, it's the way I do things. It's the way I approach things. And I've often said, you know, that being a Black woman, I'm sort of a professional inside outsider in some way. Mm. You know, there's something always a little bit um, meta about the way that I approach things because, you know, in groups aren't always there for me necessarily. And so you're always observing, you're always paying attention. And I think those things absolutely have informed the way I approach marketing and the way that I I build bridges Mm -hmm. and find empathy with other communities of people that I'm responsible for marketing to. There's, there's a lot of listening involved with that. There's a lot of just seeing things from the other side of the table. And I think being someone who is generally kind of structurally outside of things on a mm-hmm. normal basis, I right. think that gives me a different kind of empathy and insight into that. Mm-hmm. Uh, very much like the way you have a different view of things when you travel around the world, you know, you bring a different clarity and almost a simplicity of the way that you see things in a new space. Mm-hmm. And so I think those two mm-hmm. things have worked together and really, you know, fed off of each other as I've, as I've right. done this work through my career, for sure. Right. Well, I'm always curious where people go in their souls to find creativity. I know as a songwriter, there's a place inside me where I get quiet and I listen for the right words and melodies to flow from that space, right? I edit it and I work with it, but, you know, people ask how I do it and it's not always easy to pin down when I'm in that space. You told a story on an Audible podcast that I loved about jump-starting ideas in a brainstorming session for Cirque, where you threw out the idea of parading an elephant down the street with signs on it to drum up ticket sales, and then you invited anyone who could beat the elephant idea to jump in. So is there a space in you? Where do you get your creative ideas. Yeah, I think that's more it. You know, as, as you're describing going almost inward, you know, to find that place and, and to find your, your creative space, mine is much mm-hmm. more active. You know, I'm much more, you know, I, I, I like the brainstorming process and I start right. just throwing it out there. I think really it comes from a place of just being fearless mm-hmm. about that. And, mm-hmm. and as you said, yeah, the story that I told was that was a, a real story, not a made up story. You know, that sometimes yeah. people, I, I think a lot, the thing that, that stymies creativity is fear of being embarrassed, fear of mm-hmm. being wrong, yeah, you yeah, know, right? fear of looking silly. And so I think, you know, in, in my own twisted way, none of those things bother me. I don't mm-hmm. have a problem throwing out the first and the worst idea. And so sometimes in a room where you can tell, you know, everyone's sort of, you know, hanging back, you know, it's there. Most people have more ideas than, than they can imagine. Mm-hmm. And so it's in there and something has come to your mind, but, you know, you're sort of holding your lips tight. You don't want to jump out there. And yeah, yeah. I, would, I would just be the first one to throw something ridiculous on the board and mm-hmm. just show people <laughs> and demonstrate for a team. I think as a team leader, that's a part of it as well just demonstrating that it's okay to be wrong. It's okay to be silly. It's okay to be wide. We'll have plenty of time to make this make sense. I think right. is the, the key lesson I, I, I want to, uh, or, the, or the key tone that I want to set when, we're, when mm-hmm. we're in those moments. You know, once you do that and everyone starts laughing and you sort of, you know, you, you sort of demonstrate in real time that throwing it out on the table, there's no penalty for that. Right, You That's know, good. we'll laugh at it. We'll throw mm-hmm. more things on top of it. We'll keep going. And everything will be, it'll be fine. Yeah, you know, it's okay at good. this point. You're given permission to just let all that stuff rip. 
And I, and I think we lose that after maybe third or fourth grade. Don't you know, we until yeah. fourth grade, we're sort of mm-hmm. encouraged to live that mm-hmm. way. We're sort of encouraged to throw it yeah. out there. And as we get older, we get more, you know, more cautious. We right. have more to lose. We don't want to be embarrassed in front of our bosses. And so all of that stuff just starts to close in, in a way that, you know, in, in corporate America, there are penalties for that. Not everyone mm-hmm. means it when they say this is a safe space mm-hmm. to be wrong. Some, some bosses will say that and they don't mean it at all. As soon as you say it, they're taking that like, boy, John, that was a really dumb idea. You know, they're there, taking yeah. that, John. And, <laughs> and I think that's something that, that it's on the team leader to put into place. I, I became very aware in my career about how much my team was watching everything that I did. Mm. They were paying attention to every little thing. And if I said it's safe and then I was punitive about it later on, they'd remember that. Mm-hmm. They'd remember yeah, for if sure. they would, you know, start to close in and go, oh, she's just like everyone else. Right. You know, so I right. think you have to model it. You know, you have to sort of live it and, you know, let people, help people understand that it's a safe space. And that's rare. I think the reason they're hesitant is that it's rare that, that spaces will allow you to do that. And bosses yeah. will allow you to do that. Very rare. And I, what I'm hearing is like, if the spirit don't move, then you move the spirit, Right. You jumpstart the creativity by being willing to risk and, like you said, be the first. Yeah, you worst. just get going. I mean, it's the same advice that, you know, that you see for writers, right? That that deadly looking at the blank page mm-hmm. moment, you know, where mm. you, yes. I was mean, right. like it's, you know, writing a book is you just bleed onto the page. You yeah, know, right? Blood yeah, exactly. You bleed onto the page to write. Uh, you know, it's, it's so much easier to just start going, just go. And in mm-hmm. the process of going and throwing things out and ripping things apart and flipping things over, mm-hmm. you know, that activity is what generates the creativity that I use day to day. I it's, love it's that. It's a different and kind of more tactile outward way of doing it than what you were describing. But right. I think everyone right. has a different mode and a different way to mm-hmm. access well, that. In yeah, for sure. Well, I'm just always interested in in where that innovation comes from and you know, one of the, the things that you highlight is communicating and capitalizing on the power of instincts and gut feelings, right? I mean, what would you say about that? How do we tap into instincts and gut feelings? Yeah, I mean, ever, all of us have a lens, right? We all come from, from an experience, from a lived life. We see things from a different, a slightly different perspective, even if we're talking about the same thing. And so when I talk about really honoring those instincts, when you've got people with multiple lenses around the table, it's actually one of the most fertile moments you could possibly have to have a conversation. Right. Right. Only if, though, everyone around the table contributes that slightly different point of view Mm -hmm. to the conversation. And so Mm. most people discard their first instincts about things. They, Mm. you know, either, oh, this is going to be stupid. Or someone's already thought of that. Exactly. Right. And I've got to tell you, in my experience, especially as a consultant, um, you know, you, my, my day job was to get parachuted into places that I'd never been before. Mm. A lot of times with very little information, a lot of times with very little background, you're just sort of there to help frame a question. And sometimes being that outsider gave me an extra hundred IQ points. Because I was able to ask questions very, very simply, and I learned over time how, how powerful it could be to actually sort of take a beat, 
stop a client for a second and ask them to just replay something for you. Mm. And so I would say things like, okay, wait, I heard you say A, I heard you say C, I didn't hear this part in the middle. How do we get from, from A to C? Mm-hmm. And in many cases, John, what was really powerful is that companies hadn't stopped to ask very basic questions about their own business for years. That's just the way it's been. Wow. That's just how wow. we've done. And when you fight, when, when you have that outsider lens and when you can come to it and just sort of say, hold up, let me just make sure I'm following what you're telling me as we walk mm-hmm. along and you play it back and ask those very basic, very almost childlike questions about, wait, let me just make sure I understand A to B, B to C, C to D. Mm-hmm. It sparks things in them that haven't been opened or questioned in years. I bet, and yeah. it's a powerful moment. I've stopped conversations, stopped entire mm-hmm. meetings where people just had this flash. You can sort of feel <laughs> feel the light bulb go on. Yeah, right. Realize, oh boy, we like, ding, ding, you know, ding. we were taking this part for granted yeah. and hadn't asked about it. Wow. And so yeah, you can you just just taking time to to look at things in a, with a fresh pair of eyes sometimes gives you uh gives you the big creates for you a vision that, that, that people who've lived it and been sort of sitting in it and swimming in it and backstroking in it can't see anything. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's true. Sometimes you just get so deep in the weeds that you just give up and find yourself even becoming apathetic. You know, being that person who sees that thing and can't mm-hmm. get anyone else to follow you because they're all keeping their heads down because they don't want to talk about it and upset mm-hmm. the apple cart. Exactly. It's exhausting. Right? You know, my husband has a great phrase for it. He says that, you know, a lot of people have an appetite for change, but they don't have right. the stomach for change. Right. Oh, that's so good. And they're two very different things. And most people, quite frankly, are not, you know, don't get up every morning waiting mm-hmm. to change no. the world. No, you know, for they, sure. They, they crave stability. They want something to be predictable. And there's nothing mm-hmm. wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with a sense of wanting. I mean, I think we, as we talked about before, I think all of us right now crave a certain amount of predictability. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Wouldn't that be good? Uh. And this, this, you know, flipping over day after day after day. Right. You know, there's nothing wrong with wanting certain Mm. things to stay the same, but it's hard to change the movement of a big ship that's already established Mm. and has their way of doing things. And so it's, it's also hard to be the person who sees that new thing and just keeps you know, pounding away at it, trying to right. get an organization or a team to see it, it's hard and it's exhausting. Mm-hmm. And sometimes mm-hmm. companies think they want to change, like my husband says, but sometimes they think they want to, but they really aren't ready for mm-hmm. what that means mm-hmm. and how it's really going to make things change right. in the organization. Mm-hmm. Teams, people, it could mean moving people out of the organization because of this new direction. A lot of things that create conflict. So change very often requires that and you have to have you have stomach for that you have to be tried with right or trudging off and getting dirty and you know getting your hands dirty and Mm -hmm. just mixing it up and seeing what happens and being willing to fail you know Mm -hmm. when you when you go out on those edges sometimes it doesn't work (laughs) yes so have i that's when you're looking around (laughs) you know for the exit and saying okay next gig where are we going next well, you alluded earlier to how you came upon a lot of your innovative thinking and creativity from the challenges that you had as a woman and as a woman of color and as an insider yet still feeling like an outsider in uh, patriarchal patriarchal white male-dominated business cultures. So how do you think innovation and creativity could invite us all back into a safe space, a place where we could have greater conversation around the things that unite us 
rather than the things that divide us? Yeah, it's such a tough question. I think, you know, certainly the, the part of innovation that I think is relevant is that part of what holds us back and part of what continues to drive the wedges and division is the mythology that we have mm. about ourselves, about mm -hmm. our country, about who we are, about how we get along. And so we have these contexts and these frames of mm -hmm. reference that we use and approach everything with. And when you do that without questioning, it's sort of like the company that's never stopped to ask why we do A, B, C, D. You know, we really do need to stop. And I think the, it, where innovation comes in, and I think mm -hmm. what you're getting at is the innovative part is the ability to step back from the whole thing, mm -hmm. you know, and, and, and sort of drop the context a little bit mm -hmm. and then have a conversation. I mean, to give you an example, you know, when I was in college, my overseas study program was in Denmark. It was Copenhagen. And it was the first time in my life that my outward appearance didn't mean anything to the people that I was meeting. Um, oh. They knew that I wasn't from around there. Mm -hmm. They knew I wasn't Danish, you know, <laughs> and so they'd ask, where are you from? And say, I'm from the United States. It was completely innocent. It was completely without any sort of charge or undertone mm -hmm. because they didn't have they had any context right it's just right. different mm -hmm. and they found that fascinating how'd you get here this is a lot you're a long way from home and we would just mm -hmm. start conversations and so you didn't have the same sort of you know tension and, and expectations and assumptions mm -hmm. that we make about each wow, other right it, we were just free from it mm, we were just so good free from it and it was really it was at once liberating but at the same time, a little bit sad because I, I knew the difference and I knew what I was going to come back home to. Right. Where just me, you know, I, I remember living in New York and having two different lived experiences depending on how I was dressed. Mm. You know, mm. in, you know, back in the 90s in a suit and in my pantyhose, <laughs> my briefcase, <laughs> I would have a very different experience. Sure. New York City in a day than I would in jeans and a t-shirt. Oh, right. And oh. so I knew what this meant and I had lived it and I'd felt it. And to be freed from it was, again, it was exhilarating on the one hand and then sort of maddening on, mm -hmm. on the other. Mm -hmm. And so I think, you know, what I've found to be most interesting about the conversations I've had about differences with people is that it starts with having a friendship. Right. It oh, starts not an equation. You can't just say, oh, I work with people that are different. And so I think I've figured it all out. It starts mm. with a certain amount of affection and caring for mm, a I love that. And then uh. you start to hear their story differently. You know, when you finally have those conversations, the thing that I find, you know, most effective with folks is not to have a grand theory about our differences or have a political opinion about it, but just to share what's happened to me. Here's something that I experienced and here's, you know, what I went through. And at that point, you're hearing this differently because we, you know, we have a bond, we have a connection, and now you're hearing me share something that you've never heard before. It takes it out of a level of abstraction mm. that you can live in and where you can mm -hmm. avoid it and things aren't happening. Right. You're now in it with this person and now you're having an empathy with them and their experience that I personally think carries over into the rest of your life. Mm -hmm. It's hard to do that with an individual and then go, put your blinders back on it. Right. The rest of the world. Once you've seen that other people's lived experiences just are very, very different. Mm -hmm. And I think what surprises people about my background is, as you said, I've been successful. I've, I've 
pretty, I've navigated a lot of difficult territory mm -hmm. in my life. And so people mm -hmm. can easily presume that it's just been a piece of cake. Mm -hmm. And when they hear the stories, when they hear the challenges, when they hear about the microaggressions and all the little moments that I've had, they're surprised mm -hmm. that those mm -hmm. things would happen to you. You know, you, you, you've done well, you've succeeded. And I think that's a real, it's wrong to make the assumption that it's still not hard because I'm constantly mm -hmm. having to be meta, as, as I said earlier, about every situation. That yes. I've yeah. I get that. And I've been counseled, you know, along the way you get management advice about reading the room and things like mm -hmm. that. Well, John, mm -hmm. I'm like the Terminator, you know, I've got a, a screen that comes down over my eyes and I've looked at the entire room. I've seen everything that's oh, going man. on. You know, I figured out where the alliances are. I've read between the lines. Like that's just how it happens mm. in life. And it's taxing. Mm. It's an extra mm. measure of time and attention. Right. That you take when you're the one who's different. Wow. That's how it goes. Yeah. But it takes what it takes. You're a survivor. You're an overcomer. You know who you want to be in the world. Yeah. And, right. Well, and when you talk about innovation, that that is innovation right there. You know, I've mm -hmm. got an obstacle. It's the, you know, it's the proverbial wall that you can't go over under around. So what do you do? <laughs> right. And so you just keep hammering at it. Or, you know, what I did early in my career was dive out onto new media mm -hmm. back in mm -hmm. the earliest days, back in the nineties. Right. Very early. Was just hitting. One of the ways I went around the wall was to just dive off into a completely mm -hmm. new space where mm -hmm. nobody else was, where there were no <laughs> rules, where there were no templates, where there were no hierarchies or caste systems. Like it was just the wild west. Mm -hmm. And in doing so, I gained knowledge. Wow. That just made that made it easy for people to say, I don't care who you are. If you know what this is, mm -hmm. I need you to help me do this. Yeah. You know, and so we'd and so we'd go to work. And so there was something about being in a space where there were no rules to begin with that gave me some room to run. The other thing that I realized, especially when I was at Deloitte doing, you know, management consulting with 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 very large companies. It wasn't lost on me that I was invited into boardrooms and into executive suites that I probably wouldn't have been promoted into. But when you're doing innovation and growth and, and market strategy consulting for a client, they want you to be different. Mm -hmm. In that mm -hmm. moment, I had this, I remember this aha very clearly that in that moment, the fact that I was completely different than what the team looked like meant that I was probably more likely to bring them a fresh idea because I was coming from the left, from left or right field. Right. Mm -hmm. And so it was interesting to see how much and how, how welcomed I was and in demand I was to do that kind of work when I was outside of that hierarchy. I was also in a position to say things more plainly and more openly and sort of throw those weird ideas on the table because I wasn't a part of that leadership team. Right. I wasn't right. a permanent no. member of that team. And so I didn't have anything to risk. Mm, I was right. coming in to just call it like I saw it, toss out ideas, help them think differently, kind of stretch their brains out. And it worked in that context in a way that it wouldn't have worked trying to start as a manager and work my way up the corporate ladder. So again, the whole, you know, I think there is a lot of synergy between the way, you know, the way I think about innovation, it's, it's, I've learned it because I've had to live it and constantly figure out new ways through things. And the, that edge work that I talked about, you know, just being, being someone who works on the edges of companies, I live on the edges of most things. And so it's a comfortable place for me that might be a little uncomfortable for someone to go out of their comfort zone. I'm sort of always outside of my comfort zone. So I've learned right. to turn it into an advantage. 
Yeah. Well, I mean, that's kind of your happy place, right? I mean, you're able to come in, you're able to see some of the hidden opportunities that people that are so deeply enmeshed in it maybe can't see. And, and that becomes a, a great place for you to shine. Well, tell us a little bit about Rev. You're doing some amazing work. I love your website. I love the fact that you offer case studies and you let people like me who geek out about that kind of thing go in and get a peek behind the scenes of what you're dealing with, even with some of the graphic design, the Beulah Mae Donald story and the audio reel and music videos. And there's just so much amazing content there. Give us a little peek into what you're doing at Rev. Yeah, you know, Rev's always been, and I, you know, I started Rev originally. The very first incarnation of Rev was and I have to say this to the young people, it was two recessions ago, not 2008, <laughs> but back in 2000, right. the internet crashed. I had to purge my resume of all of the E's and I's and dots and mm -hmm. things. No one wanted to talk mm -hmm. about that. Right, the dot com. For, for those sure. people who are listening who were around in 2000, yeah. <laughs> you will remember the moment when the internet was considered a flash crazy and yeah and then crazy course, now you know we know we know the, mm -hmm. the rest is history and so i started rep as an umbrella to do my own projects and what i really like to do with it is is you know on the consulting side of it spend time inside a company as as almost <laughs> an interim executive so i like having teams you know even though i'm a consultant even though you know as i mentioned that outsider space sort of works mm -hmm. for me. Mm -hmm. What I like to do is, is, is get a chance to go in and really spend time rallying teams internally to get these new mm -hmm. projects going. And so the rev really shines. And I think where strategy and innovation really shines is that, you know, companies, yeah. you know, I, I've, I've learned a lot of empathy for companies mm -hmm. and how they get stuck and mm -hmm. how they, you know, get to a point where they, they, it seems as though they can't come up with a fresh mm -hmm. idea, mm -hmm. you're, you're bogged down and you're busy and there's just no space to have right. that creative conversation. And so where Rev really shines is being able to come in and take that one piece and go be an external part of your brain for a while. Mm, that's cool. Get things yeah. moving, get things, you know, get things revved up and then mm -hmm. come back to the company and sort of present that and kind of keep it moving. We're an auxiliary part of a team in some ways. That's so good. Well, before I ask my last question, how do you like to interact with people about what you do? I know you've got the Rev site. You know, do you have a tribe you're building and uh, social media that you'd like to interact with people? Sure. You know, you can definitely could log in and create an account at Rev. I, I, I'm doing a little bit of blogging there. I, I need to do more. I have lots of... Uh, Lots of notes and scraps of paper and things that I need to pull together into some some more blog posts. But mostly, I would say on LinkedIn, I'm posting there at just Alma Derricks. You can find me there on LinkedIn. And then on Twitter, occasionally at Alma Derricks as well. I'm in the process of working on a book proposal that, that I think will pull some of these concepts together. And at that point, I'd really like to sort of dive in and start putting a little more out there in the world as, as we go. You know, this, this, the, uh, this big break that we've taken, this weird COVID break has given me a lot of time to think about kind of coalescing some of these ideas together into things that I think would be helpful for folks, especially as they're, they're sort of disconnected from each other. So mm -hmm. really thinking mm -hmm. about innovation and how you foster that in a business setting. 
Well, you actually stole my last question. <laughs> it was going to be, when can we expect your book? That was going to be my last question, but now I have to pivot and I'm going to go deep. What's the one thing that you go to for self-care? Well, you know, okay. So, you know, it's hard. I stop. One thing I do for self-care is just stop. When I was in consulting formally and when I worked at Cirque, I was living in Los Angeles and commuting to Las Vegas. So I traveled indiscriminately for about 10 years. Mm -hmm. And one of the things I learned in that process, it was always a tough question when someone said, you know, do you have a hobby? My hobby was stopping. <laughs> just not doing anything. My other standard thing for years on Friday night, my dinner is usually liquid and wine and with whatever wine nipples I can mm -hmm. pull together. So that wind down is kind yeah. of a, a standing yeah, Friday night times. thing that I do. Right. But, but sometimes it's, it's, it's just stopping and, and recharging. I was just thinking this week, John, it's funny that you asked that. I, I woke up on Monday and I said, I, I'm, I need to refill and see some things. And so I started, you know, looking around to see which museums were, were open again. When finally starting to go to music and to theater again, I realized that I need the recharge of just other people's creativity. Right. It's music, yeah. art, you know, theater, writing. Mm -hmm. I need to read a novel and not read so many not for nonfiction mm -hmm. books. Mm -hmm. I just need to refill on someone else's kind of, wacky out of bounds mm -hmm. just sort of vision mm -hmm. of something to see that actually just sort of gets my business mm -hmm. going too so I that's, think that's another thing yeah. that i go back to so i think i'll be hanging out at lacma or up at the getty or i think i'm just going to start making those my my home yeah. for a few days at a time and just just soak it all in and just kind of refill the well because we've been so busy. Mm. Alma, thank you so much for taking a little time to open our thinking toward innovation and creativity, not just on the grand scale of Cirque du Soleil and parading elephants down the street, but learning to apply those principles to our own lives and seeking to be better humans and making a difference in the world through creativity. Man, thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thanks for hanging out with me today on All The Best. If you like the show, be sure to share it out with your family and friends on your social media and drop me a line at john at johnchisholm.com. I would love to hear from you. I also want to invite you to jump over to my site right now to sign up for my free 31-day motivational email series. It's designed to help you go for all the best in life. If you're needing some real change, fresh motivation and inspiration, this could be just the thing to get get you going. You can find it at johnchisholm.com and I'll see you next time.